It's 8.30 on Thursday, January 10th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out what issues top the list for Mississippi Democrats in the state legislature as the 2019 legislative session gets underway. Then learn what you should consider when gathering information to file taxes. Fewer people will need to itemize their returns, and so their return will be simpler. And that's always nice for people who don't have very complicated financial circumstances. It'll be a shorter, easier return to file. And in our book club, author Matthew Terrell introduces us to a new genre with his fictional cookbook, The Magnolia Bayou Country Club Ladies Auxiliary Cooking and Entertaining Book. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Democrats in the Mississippi legislature are outlining priorities for the 2019 legislative session. They say fully funding education, expanding Medicaid, and reforming criminal justice top the list of what they'll take up during the session. Senate Democrat Derek Simmons of Greenville is minority leader. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier more about the party's plans. Uh, We've talked about uh, the six legislative priorities that we have agreed on as legislative Democrats. Uh, were education, health care, infrastructure, economic justice, criminal justice, and election reform. The one that stands out in my mind is health care, because lately we've been hearing that the governor may be looking at expanding it. However, he has told us in an interview that that is not the case. Well, I just think that's interesting because the only thing we know about it as legislative Democrats is what we've read in the paper and what we've actually seen on the news, uh, that the governor's position was evolving or that he was certainly considered for the 2019 legislative session. It's important for your listeners to know, uh, Desiree, that legislative Democrats, we have pushed for Medicaid expansion since 2011. We think it's the right thing to do for Mississippi, and we think it's the right thing to do for those working Mississippians who need access to health care. And from time to time again, our Republican colleagues have told us no, and we certainly know the position of the governor. So it was, it was encouraging to hear if the governor was changing his position. Hopefully that would have caught on to the leadership here at the Capitol, and we could have seen a bill moving uh, through the process that we've always sponsored and that legislative Democrats have sponsored since 2011. A member mentioned that rural hospitals are closing five with others potentially adding to that list. Your thoughts on that? I just think it's really disheartening uh, to hear that all of the warning signs and all of the writings were on the wall uh, when we were told that we not only could bring money into the state, but also we can create jobs and we could also help about 300,000 Mississippians have access to health care. And we were told that our hospitals were actually be at jeopardy of not only discontinuing their services, but also even more gravely closing. And we have seen that just happen. And so our position is we could have prevented all of this and we could have prevented all of this before an election year. And so to hear that they are considering it, but then to tell you something different in an interview that they are not considering it, it's even more disheartening considering the information. Is there another one that's at the top of your list? Certainly education. 
We have pushed for full funding for uh, public education uh, for the last 10 years, uh, or if not longer. And we will continue to make sure our schools are fully funded. But we also have pushed for uh, teacher pay raises uh, to bring our teachers up to the southeastern average. Uh, we want a, real, a full teacher pay raise. We don't want a teacher pay raise on paper where our districts suffer the costs of the pay raise. We need to fully fund our school districts, but also the teacher pay raises need to come out of the general fund, just like in 2016 we gave money to corporations. House Speaker Philip Gunn has said education is not on his agenda in that regard in terms of changing the formula or doing anything different. Well, as far as changing the formula, as you know, we had House Bill 957. Uh, it was an effort to change the funding formula. Legislative Democrats, we fought against that successfully. And we feel like there's nothing really wrong uh, with the current formula unless we're going to improve the current formula. But based upon the proposals that we have seen from our Republican colleagues, uh, it was an effort to uh, tell the public that we are fully funding education when really they wouldn't have been fully funding education. So if there's a new formula, uh, which I don't think would be considered this session, uh, we would like to make sure it's a funding that would give all of our schools full funding under the current law as opposed to just changing the formula and not fully funding the schools as we know it under MAEP. Is there anything that I didn't ask you specifically that you want to point out? I just want your listeners to know that legislative Democrats we have fought for these issues, and we have fought for these issues prior to the 2019 election year. Uh, and we will continue to do the right thing here at the Capitol for them. Senate Democratic Minority Leader Derek Simmons of Greenville with our Desiree Frazier. Republican Gray Tollison of Oxford is chairman of the Senate Education Committee. He tells Desiree Frazier more. Well, I can tell you, I'm, I think the Republicans are focused on outcomes for our students, and I'm proud of the accomplishments of our uh, students over the past several years. And I'm proud of what the governor and lieutenant governor and speaker have done in enacting education reform efforts uh, going back to 2013 and, and the Literacy-Based Promotion Act and um, having educational choice with charter schools for the first time ever, establishing early learning collaboratives, which we have, I think, about 14 across the state to provide um, education for four-year-old students. And uh, all of these things have made an impact on improving student achievement across the state, and particularly the Literacy-Based Promotion Act. We've seen uh, substantial gains in our reading and math scores in the fourth grade, and uh, that's quite an accomplishment and speaks highly of our students and our educators, teachers, and parents all across the state, the strides we've made. And um, the, they have been noticed across the country. So it's an exciting time in Mississippi, and I hope that we can sustain the gains that we've seen in the past few years. Do you think it's possible to expand pre-K education? Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm hopeful. I mean, you know, we, we, we are working with Head Start, with, which is exciting. Um, Oxford, my hometown, was just awarded uh, $2 million, and it's a collaborative process between our public schools, Head Start, um, to provide four-year-old uh, programs in the uh, preschool on the university campus. And uh, Hattiesburg received one, uh, 
George County, I believe, and Cleveland. So we're slowly but surely uh, adding four-year-old seats across the state. And, and when we put money in there, for every dollar the state gives, there's a dollar put locally. So it's a, a collaborative effort between the state and the locals in providing a four-year-old program. And one thing that needs to be mentioned is individuals and corporations can also donate to these early learning collaboratives and get a dollar for dollar tax credit and i know many people have been doing that across the state um, so that that is also um, a part of contributing to your local community to improve early learning um, education can the state afford to fully fund education i think what we're looking for is outcomes are we making sure our students are learning and that's what as i said the Republican focus has been, are we getting good outcomes? And we are. And I think we'll continue to do that to hold schools accountable through our accountability model and, and continue to target money in, in uh, places like the school recognition program. So I think the, the way that we've over the past seven or eight years have been approaching education is turning out to be a better way. Senator Grant, uh, Gray Tollison. Republican Bryce Wiggins of Pascagoula is chairman of the Senate Medicaid Committee. He tells our Desiree Frazier he doesn't foresee a Medicaid expansion this year. There's not the will, and the Medicaid reforms were done last year in the Medicaid Technical Amendments Bill. Do you ever see the possibility that Medicaid could be expanded? Uh, I'm only looking right here, so I don't. I can't predict the future. The Democratic caucus says they will provide updates on their top issues weekly as the 2019 session progresses. To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. In election news, Mississippi's third-term Republican Secretary of State says he's running for lieutenant governor. 71-year-old Delbert Hoseman says workforce development is among his top priorities. The educated workforce will be one of the things that I spent half my time on. I anticipate that we will have an educated workforce. A lot of them will end up making more money than the Secretary of State does. Good, well-paying jobs, we can do that. Seventy percent of our young men and women don't get a baccalaureate degree, but we want them all to get a job. Democratic State Representative Jay Hughes of Oxford announced last year that he's also running for the office. The current lieutenant governor, Republican Tate Reeves, is term-limited and cannot run again. Coming up, learn what you should consider when gathering information to file taxes. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jeremy Hobson. It sounds familiar. President Trump has chosen to hold hostage critical services for the health, safety, and well-being of the American people and withhold the paychecks of 800,000 innocent workers. But this government shutdown isn't our first, second, or third. We'll get the backstory next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. As federal lawmakers negotiate issues surrounding a partial government shutdown, the tax filing deadline continues to draw near. Mississippians can continue to gather all relevant 2018 documents in preparation for tax season. Donna Davis is associate professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. She tells MPB's Ezra Wall some new changes will go into effect this year. There are some significant changes for this year. Um, For starters, the standard deduction has gone up dramatically. And that means 
fewer people will need to itemize their their returns, and so their return will be simpler. And and that's always nice uh, for people who don't have very complicated financial circumstances. It, it, it'll be a shorter, easier return to to file. Uh, so the standard deduct while the standard deduction has gone up. There's no more personal exemption deduction. So you're always used to deducting out that personal uh, exemption deduction. That's gone. It's been kind of wrapped into that higher standard deduction. There's some, some new child credit provisions. The child credit has gone up uh, to $2,000. Again, that's kind of to replace the, person, the, the uh, dependency exemption that you otherwise would have received. There are a couple of fairly complex but but important things to think about if you are self-employed or you're a member of a pass-through entity like a partnership or an LLC because there's a new provision that allows a significant deduction, uh, 20% of your net business income if you are, are either, again, doing this as a sole proprietor or through some sort of pass-through entity. Uh, that's a that's a new big deduction uh, that's available uh, for for basically everybody until you get up to one hundred and fifty seven thousand five hundred dollars or twice that if you're married. Um, after that, certain businesses cannot take the deduction, uh, like uh, uh, health employees, law, lawyers, accountants, actuarials, performing artists, those sorts of personal services kind of businesses. The, the 20% deduction phases out for them, uh, and so once you, you hit that that 157.5 or, or twice for joint returns, you start to lose that deduction. Um, one thing that you've heard about a lot about that has not changed is the shared responsibility payment for not having insurance. The the, the 2017 Act removed the penalty but that doesn't kick in until the end of 2018. So for this last year, you still, uh, if you don't have insurance, will have to either uh, pay that, that shared responsibility payment or find an exemption that you're entitled to. So that's the that's the requirement that is part of the Affordable Care Act that that uh, yeah. adults have to have insurance or they have to pay a penalty for not having insurance. And that's going away after this tax year, so next year that we won't have to pay that penalty. Exactly. Okay. Unless something else changes, it goes away next year. What What else is going to be new? And, and for the Affordable Care Act, one of the things you want to think about, this isn't new, but you want to think about it, is if you received a credit, a, a, an advanced premium credit, to help you pay for your insurance, you'll get a, what what's called a 1095A form. And you need that before you file your return. And you're going to get that later than your W-2. So you get your W-2 with all the information about your income and your withholding and that, that information by the end of, of January. This 1095A you may not get until later. And so you, you may have to delay filing until you get that form. When when will people start getting those uh, those uh, tax documents so they can begin filing their taxes? Generally, your 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 employer is required to get you the W two again. That's the information about your income and withholding. Um, it, they're supposed to get them to you by the end of January. Um, sometimes employers are a little late, 
but you should have those by the end of January. You should have your Affordable Care Act uh, uh, documentation, that 1095A that we talked about. You should have that by the end of February uh, at the latest. So what about uh, withholdings? There, people get to the end of the year and they, they find out that they owe taxes they hadn't been anticipating because their employer didn't didn't withhold enough or they didn't ask their employer to withhold enough. Can you can can individual people like adjust the amount of money that is withheld from their checks or is that like a set calculation? That's a real problem this year because the rates changed dramatically and the standard deduction changed. And there were all those changes. And so what the IRS does is they send a table to employers of how much they're supposed to withhold from each check for their employees. Well, those tables and the calculator on the IRS site were not terribly accurate this year. And so more people are going to find themselves underwithheld. Uh, at, at the end of the year and therefore owing more money than they perhaps expected or they have in years past. Um, there's a penalty that applies, but you can avoid that penalty if you owe less than $1,000 on your return. So say your your tax bill is $6,000, but you've already had $5,000 withheld uh, over the course of the year, then you're not going to owe the penalty for that extra $1,000 that you're going to have to pay in with your return. If you pay 90% of your current year taxes or 100% of last year's taxes, you also avoid the penalty. Um, and so if you think you might be uh, underwithheld this year, those are the numbers to avoid the, the penalty. Um, the other thing you want to think about, and, and these two are linked, if you end up more uh, owing more than you anticipate and more than you can pay uh, in, in one shot, it's really important to go ahead and file your return uh, so you don't incur more penalties and enter into a payment plan with the IRS. You can enter into a payment plan, pay those taxes off over time. That's cheaper in the long run than not paying the taxes and owing all the interest and penalties that will be due if you don't pay, if you don't go ahead and file and pay in a timely way. Donna Davis is with the University of Mississippi, and uh, I appreciate the information that you've shared with us today. Thank you so much. Coming up, we'll talk with author Matthew Terrell in our book club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. As we keep our cars longer, the parts get more and more worn. This includes your headlights. If you're driving at night, you want to be able to see where you're going and you want others to see you. On the next AutoCorrect, we're talking headlights. But Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, will also be on hand to answer your car questions today at 10 a.m. on MPB Think Radio and on the Internet at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Cookbooks and novels are nothing alike, or are they? Gaucher native Matthew Terrell introduces us to the residents of the fictional town of Magnolia Bayou. The characters offer recipes and tips on cooking that are very real in the book, the Magnolia Bayou Country Club Ladies Auxiliary Cooking and Entertaining Book. As Terrell tells us, his interest in all things culinary began years ago. I read cookbooks like people read fiction books. Um, I love to read a cookbook. 
at night to go to bed because they always have happy endings. And after reading hundreds and hundreds of these community cookbooks and church cookbooks, I thought this would be a really fun format to do as a fictional story. Because when I was reading these vintage cookbooks, you really get a sense of place and people through their food and through the descriptions of the recipes they provide. So that's where the initial concept came from. And you actually created a community. So tell us about Magnolia Bayou. Magnolia Bayou is a fictional place. A lot of people assume that it is probably in Louisiana, but in my mind, it's actually Mississippi because I grew up on the Mississippi Gulf Coast in Gaucher on a bayou uh, with a country club next door. So my concept is Magnolia Bayou is this Singapore of the South. It's this very international community where people move to from all over the world. They retire there. It is this just wonderful upscale community full of people with great taste that throw beautiful parties, and it is the place to entertain. So it is like the definitive book of style for uh, international Southernism. You have some great tips and uh, recipes, but I just want to pull out a couple of chapters or at least subtitles. One of them is 10 Tips for Better Biscuits, uh, Well-Seasoned versus Hot, The Secret of Smells, and How to Make Coffee. I had to read that to see if I'm doing it properly. It turns out I'm not. <laughs> I, I use a French press, but I boil the water, and that's a big no-no according to your book. They cannot have it uh, completely boiled. Once you see bubbles coming up, it is too hot. So you got to let it cool down for a little bit before you use that water. Who knew? Now I know. <laughs> what about what about ten tips for better biscuits? What's the secret there? Well, I am a master biscuit maker. Um, I learned from my mom, and so what I wanted to do was not necessarily provide a recipe, but provide those sorts of things that you learn standing at your mom's hip. Certain things like before you put the biscuits in the oven, you do a little indentation on the middle at the top of the biscuit. That way that you have a nice even top. If you don't put that indentation there, the middle will puff up too much. There are also tips about cutting the flour with cornstarch. That's one of my secrets to getting lighter biscuits. And I sometimes hate to actually admit this, but butter-flavored Crisco is a very much perfect secret ingredient for delicious, buttery, flaky biscuits. It tastes more like butter than butter does. You talk about telling a story on two different levels. Explain that. The cookbook itself tells a story of Magnolia Bayou and the people that live there. And it's a nice, charming little cookbook with a great little story about why they made the cookbook. However, it tells a story on another level, which is each book is stuffed with note cards, recipe clippings, some things that I've made myself, some vintage pieces I've tracked down. And when you go through those items, it tells another story on top of it. So I like to imagine if you ever sort of get these old cookbooks at the Goodwill or the Salvation Army, sometimes they have people's memorabilia and hand-done notes in there, and that tells a story of the person. So I was imagining, well, let me tell a story of someone who owned this cookbook itself. And so you read the cookbook, you get a good story about the community of Magnolia Bayou, and then you go through the items I've stuffed in there, and then you discover something very jarring happens to the community, and how do they overcome what happened? And you learn that through the items stuffed in there. So that's the dual story aspect. I understand that you sold out the first edition of this book in a day. How do readers get this book now? Well, this book is right now only available directly through me and through my website. It's justmemat.com. That's I-T-S-J-U-S-T-M-E-M-A-T-T.com. This is really an independent project. My alma mater, uh, Savannah College of Art and Design, funded this 
as an alumni project. And I am the publisher of it right now, and I own the copyright, and I'm the one doing the printing. And so I was on NPR here in Atlanta, and I sold out that day with, of all my copies. So right now I am in the second printing and going around the South, letting people know about this cookbook that I think a lot of people will relate to. I think the reason that we sold out on the first day was because people collect these things. Um, a lot of people have them inherited from their mothers and grandmothers. So a lot of people really relate to this concept. And the cookbook is called The Magnolia Bayou Country Club Ladies Auxiliary Cooking and Entertaining Book. <laughs> wonder how all that fits on the cover. You need two covers just to include all that. <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for being with us. Best of luck with the book. Thank you so much for having me. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, it's MPB's all-new show, Autocorrect. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.